We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Banter, the Giants podcast that aims to dive a little bit deeper. And today, really excited to get into this with Nick, my co-host, who I'll send it to in a second, um, just because we finally have some, some something to work with. Giants have opened up training camp. There's been six full days of camp, five full practices, three fully padded practices. We have some tape to work with. We have some practice plays to work with. We have some updates on the depth. There's a lot to dive into. We're going to talk today about what we've learned so far in training camp, what we're looking forward to in training camp, but what we might see going forward, and then different training camp battles that have surprised us so far. Um, Nick, how are you doing today? I'm excited to be here. Are you, are you as pumped as I am? Yeah, super excited to be here. Uh, super, super excited to get back in this, and great to have some at least some practice tape here to work with. Exactly. I know that's what you're dying for, Nick. You need a little bit more of the tape to work with to get you get you going to the level where I'm at. But we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. We have a few more a few more days of practice open to the public, then finally the preseason game. But obviously today we have what we have to work with what we have so far, and that's five training camp practices. And there's been a lot of things that have been really interesting to me. The first thing that I've noticed, and specifically as the Giants ramped up activity with the last three padded practices, and they're installing more of their offense, it's the usage of multiple personnel and formation on the offensive side of the ball. Saquon Barkley, he's been moved around a lot. Uh, we saw a play yesterday during Monday's practice where he motioned out of the backfield from a shotgun formation and then into the slot. Eli Manning pump faked in his direction as the defense flowed towards Barkley and then Manning threw back to the short uh, to the sh- a short screen to the opposite side of the field. So I was wondering if that's something you maybe saw when you broke down a lot of that Pat Shermer game tape with the Minnesota Vikings. 
Yeah, you know, for sure, the, the double screen or the or the initial misdirection screen is definitely a, a characteristic of, you know, from Andy Reid on down uh, in terms of that type of coaching tree. And Shermer, like we've like we have highlighted in previous podcasts, he's he takes from many different things. So what you're what you're really describing here is if Barkley probably goes to the wide side of the formation, he comes back to the short side or in the short side of the field. You could be looking at all types of uh, jailbreak screens, all types of good stuff to that side. And it makes the defense it really makes the defense stop in terms of a pass rush in general, it makes the linebackers then who are trying to flow to the play really not be able to flow that well. And uh, so, yeah, all, all, all good stuff there. And I'm sure we'll get more of it. Yeah. And you think about this giants team from the past two seasons under Ben McAdoo with guys like Rashad Jennings and Orleans Darkway in the backfield on a majority of snaps. And these guys, you know, they're not, they're not flat defenders aren't flowing with them when they're going in motion or where then or where then or you know where they're running wheel routes or swing routes into the flat but that's something that that's just one little minor you know minor tweak minor change in this offense that I think makes such a big difference because you have if you have fewer defenders flowing to the to the side where the ball's actually going you're going to get a lot of space for Sterling Shepard or Odell Beckham after the catch so that's something that's really stood out to me something else that stood out to me and this is a really unique uh you know, personnel package and formation, mostly just the formation, was a play I saw from earlier in camp. I think it was during Saturday's padded practice where the Giants went trips left with three wide receivers to the left side of the formation, Saquon Barkley in the backfield at a shotgun. And then they detached Evan Ingram from the line of scrimmage as a tight end and lined him up as the as the uh, not the yeah as a flanker on the right side of the formation as the lone boundary receiver. So this is something that really interested me, and I, w- I wanted to know, Nick, is this something you saw? You know, either Shermer use with Rudolph, or something you saw McAdoo use at times with Ingram? Because again, we're trying to see we're trying to see if there's new things coming into this offense for the 2018 season. I think last night I actually tweeted that 2018 would be the year of the three by one formation. <laughs> and that's what you're describing is the three by one. So the three by one um, has attacks many things very aggressively. The Eagles kind of, I hate to bring the Eagles up. No one bite my head off, but they did it pretty well in the Super Bowl, uh, attacking both the single and two deep uh, safety looks that the, that the Patriots put uh, put against them. So it, the three by one is kind of in vogue. And one of the one of the parts of the three by one is moving your tight end as Pat Shermer's doing out uh, as the lone X wide receiver. And what that does immediately the defense tips their hand if they're going to play zone or man. So right off the bat, it's a kind of a good thing to do that helps Eli pre-snap evaluate what he wants to do. One of the interesting things, and this is why I want to be involved in this podcast, because I learn things, not just from, you know, people tweeting things on Twitter at practice, like instantly with no analysis, but because Dan gives the feedback that plays like this are happening. Last year, when McAdoo had Engram running from the same position, because again, McAdoo ran many of these same types of things, but the devil is in the details. McAdoo predominantly ran isolation type routes. That's like clear. That's one of the biggest, starkest differences on tape. He has three to four guys running down the field, all doing kind of their own thing, looking to be basically out maneuver their defender. If it's zone or man, doesn't really matter what it is to make a play on the ball. Most of Shermer, what Shermer features is different types of routes that both use combination as well as more double moves to get his guys in space, get his players in space, and not necessarily ones that just go down the field because a lot of the West Coast principles get, get, get guys in space in a shorter amount of time. Long story short, Evan Ingram, in my opinion, 
didn't separate well, didn't stack his defender when he was the lone X wide receiver running a fade, running a Ben McAdoo fade down the sideline. And I actually tweeted that a couple of those instances, I think it was like last week. And so stuff that everyone's kind of looking at, I didn't realize that they were running it still in practice. And what that tells me is all the work that he's done, uh, Engram that is, this offseason that we've read about working with both Davis Webb. I know he's really tight with Davis Webb running routes, Eli running routes, kind of getting involved. This is what is obviously his second year as a tight end. His second year, he's, you know, he's not a new guy anymore. He gets to kind of hone his craft. And I'm, I'm really eager to see how he can create separation because one of the most interesting things about when you're the XY receiver is the separation doesn't just come from speed you have to vary your route it comes down to the footwork and it comes down to doing it more often which he clearly is doing right and the interesting thing about ingram who's by the way not to tip my cap because it's still a long way to go but this was my breakout pick back in the spring after the spring practice and we'll see if that holds up because he's been absolutely the most dominant player so far on the offensive side of the ball uh through five training campuses of course they're you know they're not you know they're holding back with barkley and beckham to some extent, but as far as the matchups go, I mean, we saw a practice yesterday, I believe, or two days ago on Sunday where Ingram really got the best of Landon Collins on like four different plays, including two in the red zone. So we're just talking about it, you know, Landon Collins, who's basically one of one of the better one-on-one matchup safety. He's not one of the best in the NFL, but definitely above average. So that's interesting. But one of the other interesting things you just mentioned that really caught my attention was the fact that, you know, you say like, you know, Ben Mack's offense was running a lot of those isolation routes. So the way I see it is, and the way it was most interesting to me is that these trips left formations, these, these weren't a thing with Ben McAdoo. Like, sure, he had these three-by-ones, but the, the receivers were so staggered. There was the, usually equal distance between the slot and boundary receiver. There was very few rub routes. There was very few, you know, of underneath, like, mesh-type concepts like you talked about in the past. So just talk about to me real quick. If you have Ingram lined up to the right side, and let's say you – motion Barkley out on a swing pass to the right out of that shot confirmation. What does that leave, you know, those trips, those trips left, those three receivers, what kind of space does that leave them? What kind of options do they have in the passing game, the giants from a route standpoint? If Barkley's going to their side or to the if Ingram Barclay's side? going to the Ingram side. If Barkley's going to the Ingram side, it's going to be the short side of the field. So the three guys, the three wide receivers are on the wide side of the field and their combinations are, you know, I don't want to say endless, but you know, there's there's all different types of space. People think of it this way: if if the field isn't really divided in half, it's called sixty forty uh, in terms of what they want to right. operate in this on the side. The left side, you know, you can you can run space concepts, you can run all types of of both man and zone beaters to that side. And what you often see in play construction, and not to not to you know not to simplify Shermer, but he likes to call kind of cover two or cover three or zone beaters on one side and man beaters on the other. And that way it allows the quarterback to know, Hey, if I'm, if I'm reading this, I'm probably looking this way yeah. and, re- and reading half the field or I'm going the other way and reading half the field. Now that's not to throw it all in the box because he does have full read. He does have full progression reads in other plays, but you know, oftentimes you see that. And uh, especially with the use of RPO, which we may get to later, a lot of times you have RPO to one side of the field and then the other side is completely something you know, is completely different in a, in a, in the package sense. And so in the conventional pass that, that, that works as well. Um, and so the, the possibilities really, I mean, it's, it's, it's endless. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot, a lot of that going forward as the giants continue to unveil the rest of their offense and hopefully a little bit in the preseason. We know preseason tends to be a little bit of vanilla game plan, but hopefully that won't be the case because giants fans, you know, as one giants fan told me recently on Twitter, he's like, I know from the free, everybody said, don't worry last preseason when the offense couldn't move the ball for, you know, couldn't get a first down in all of preseason, but I knew, I knew we weren't going to get anywhere. So hopefully, you know, the giants fans open up the playbook or sorry, giants 
coach Pat Shermer opens up the playbook a little bit just for the fans, throw, throw him a little bone. But, you know, another thing that really interest, interested me and, and stood out to me was a play at practice, which was actually the biggest play from, I believe it was Sunday's practice. Yes, it was Sunday's practice. I was there for this one. And it was actually a play where, you know, Betcher decided to send Landon Collins screaming down the line of scrimmage up the A gap, actually, uh, on a safety blitz. And Saquon Barkley was in on the play, the shotgun formation. And he stonewalled Collins in pass protection. Not only did he hold up in pass protection, this would have been, if you, this is as well as you could possibly grade a running back in pass production on one single play. That's what I would give Saquon Barkley on that play. I mean, Landon Collins came firing down the line of scrimmage like it was a game. And this allowed Eli Manning enough space, enough time to then hit Sterling Shepard on the deep corner route to the side of the field where Landon Collins was blitzing from. And it would have been a 75-yard touchdown if it was a game. I mean, Shepard beat William Gay, the slot cornerback, and the guy defending him on that play. So, you know, for me, I'm already seeing a lot of the things they talked about in the pre-draft process. Saquon Barkley is a great pass protector already, has those skills already, and has the base for it. He's 233 pounds. Obviously, they call him Saquads. Most of his weight is is you know in is distributed into his lower body, which is good for a running back in pass protection. And what are some of the things? What are some of the things you've seen from Barkley in pass protection? Because we really haven't delved into that at all from when you watched his tape at Penn State. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a, it's a it's a it was a, a big improvement over the years at Penn State for him. It was something he really focused on, um, and you saw it manifest itself in, in in examples like you mentioned, where you know in the Iowa game, for example, he took on a I can remember a play where he took on a two hundred had to be two forty two fifty pound line uh, linebacker, and you know kind of threw his body at at the guy. Didn't love his technique in terms of his head tilt, and but like you said, the base and the, it was there, and and really, you know, he shows good characteristics when he when he when he gets engaged, he shows good characteristics. He likes to play long, which means he likes to fire out with his hands and get his arms extended, and that kind of does all types of things where he, he can actually stick to blockers. And but the biggest thing for running backs, um, you know you kind of go through different programs like the scouting academy and you listen to really good scouts. And what do they talk about? The best thing, the biggest thing for running backs here is competitive toughness. They have to be willing to take, you know, a, a, a guy that's probably bigger than they are having three steps on them, at least if not more, you know, blitzing and having, and just step in front of a train and have enough to basically hold the, not hold the guy, but to basically uh, run interference to, to give their quarterback time. You know, it's, it's a, it's a very difficult position. Um, I like Barkley a lot here. I liked his, like I said, I liked his progression at Penn State in terms of improvement. Um, I think the biggest thing uh, for him for him this year will be in pass protection will be his ability to in, in recognition and his ability and then uh, his mental processing and play speed to be able to make the blocks that he should be making before he goes out to his route. If that's the way the pass protection is set up, that is just mission critical. And you see, you see guys with good technique not have, you know, have issues with that because the NFL is just a different level. And I think that actually, you know, if you're going to see an issue, quote unquote, I would, I would bet that would come later in the season uh, where guys get tape on him and they see what his tendencies are in pass protection at this level. And then they game off of that. So to be honest, I think it's been a work in progress. And I think it's a big part of why the running back coach is such an important part uh, for the Giants this year. Yeah, no doubt, Nick. And listen, Pat Shermer has been very, very, he hasn't been candid about this at all. I mean, we're talking about, he said, Saquon Barkley can handle a Le'Veon Bell-esque workload, but he's going to have to pick up the pass protection. And like you said, the hardest part of that is the mental processing. It's getting down. It's it's having the awareness and understanding of the pass protection calls. But you know what? I got to say, what I've seen so far from him in practice, 
I, you know, I haven't seen a rookie running back like this in pass rush. I remember David Wilson when he was selected in the first round of the draft after the Giants won the Super Bowl, and he was having all sorts of troubles in pass rush. You know, during that rookie season, he was clearly the most talented player running back on that roster, but he really didn't see any too much action until later in the season, in large part due to his pass protection issues. And this is something that we know. Anyone who knows anything about the NFL in depth knows that pass protection is the number one critical factor for a running back when he makes his transfer from college football to the NFL. So that's something I'm going to keep an eye on. But like I said, very impressed so far. Um, transitioning a little bit, just a, a few more things I noticed from practice. And, you know, we've talked about it. They're using a ton of different personnel and formations on the offensive side of the ball. We've seen a lot of 12 personnel, a lot of 11 personnel. I've seen a lot of empty shotgun sets. That's something that nobody really talks about that Pat Shermer did with the Vikings a lot more than people realized last season. Um, I don't know if you had anything to add there before I just dove a little bit more into another interesting play I saw. But did did you notice that a little bit too from when you kind of look back at Chermer's scheme? Yeah, you know that that really faces that really uh, hits on Jarek McKinnon's uh, flexibility um, at the running back for the Vikings last year um, uh, that Pat Shermer had, and and you're going to see very similar traits from Barkley, so that 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 isn't that surprising. Right. Uh, one of the harder things, uh, just to really not to like give you the bad news, but the, the tough thing with that is protection sets. It limits you since you definitely don't have a running back, and sometimes you don't have a tight right. end. You only have five guys in protection, so you it's really pretty much going to be man or some sort of moving the pocket. So you know it, the routes have to be quicker, but it, it you're you're taking you're taking the advantage, you're taking your initiative to the defense, uh, forcing them to basically tip their hand because they have to cover five guys out in the formation right off the bat. Uh, so it's a little bit of a risk, but it's it's a calculated risk. Interesting. And, you know, he'll mix that in. He's not going to do it like McAdoo did it, where almost every play is five in protection and, and all the other receivers mm-hmm. going out. So it's just another example of, of Shermer not really, you know, locking in on one different personnel group or one different formation or one different amount of, you know, a usage of a certain amount of players in pass protection or routes. He, ch- he changes it up. I mean, we saw a play that I've been waiting to see. Um, it was actually during Monday's practice, and I've been waiting to see this because I think it could be so useful. Where actually Rhett Ellison motioned into the backfield as a fullback, and then the Giants ran the ball behind him with Saquon Barkley. And I've been waiting for that all pre, all, all training camp, all spring OTAs, because mostly it was really we saw mostly just Shane Smith at that fullback position. But now you're seeing him finally start to mix in the tight ends a little bit, especially Ellison. So I think that could be super interesting for the season if they have you know more snaps with Ellison at the fullback position than than he has in the past. Because remember, during that 2016 season, before the Giants signed Ellison as a free agent, they actually saw a lot of snaps out of that H-back fullback position uh, with the Vikings. So, And that was obviously before Shermer was the offensive coordinator, but he was still there on the staff. Um, just to dive a little bit more into it, and I know we talked a lot of defense in the last podcast, so we're going to keep this brief. But you know, another thing I noticed and what we learned so far – Betcher's defense has been just as aggressive as we expected. You know, he's using multiple looks too across the board. Different guys blitzing, a lot of different safeties, a lot of linebackers, five, six, seven guys on the line of scrimmage. And one thing that was great to see, at least for me, Nick, because we just went into such detail about it last podcast, was on Sunday there was a play uh, where they sent Ogletree on a weak side blitz and he kind of looped around, created pressure immediately. Um, and forced a tip ball where Vernon actually, who had dropped into coverage, made the interception. So that's something interesting we're seeing. A lot of these linebacker blitzes, a lot of a lot of different looks there. Um, and, you know, this front seven, no one really talks about how deep and talented this front seven is and how much of that happened this offseason. I mean, I can't remember a time where the Giants or any other team signed or not signed, but acquired maybe seven pieces on their front seven in one off season. So obviously they, they enter 2018 
with Dalvin Tomlinson and Snacks Harrison. Those guys are going to be on the line no matter what. But through the draft, through trading, and through free agency, they acquired Alec Ogletree, who's going to be their new weak side inside linebacker, right? They acquired Kareem Martin, mm-hmm. who's going to compete to be their left outside linebacker, with Connor Barwin, who's been dominating the second-team offensive line. They drafted Lorenzo Carter, who's been dominating second-team left tackle Nick Becton. Carter has now almost all but officially moved to the right outside linebacker position, at least for now in training camp. He's practiced there almost exclusively with the second-team defense now that Barwin's playing at the left outside linebacker position. So now that's four linebackers already added to the mix that weren't there last last season. Then they also added B.J. Hill on the defensive line, right? He's expected to be a big contributor. He's taken every single starting uh, snap at the 5-15 left defensive end position so far. They also added Josh Morrow, a guy who people are forgetting about, but was pretty damn productive with the Cardinals, knows the system just like Kareem Martin. So now we're up to six players. You know, R.J. McIntosh, the fifth-round pick, who we've talked about, who we think can make an impact on passing downs from the three-tech at some point this season. So you're really looking at seven different offseason acquisitions. And I hope I'm not forgetting one, though it's possible because, you know, they've just been loading up on this defensive line and and in the front seven with the linebackers as well. So I really think that this Giants defensive line and this Giants defensive front could end up being the biggest strength on this roster this season. So, yeah, yeah so I wanted to know what – well, but it's just an observation. We don't need to throw it to you there. I know, Nick, but because we talked so much. You dove so much into the defense last podcast. But I wanted to get that out there because I just don't remember seven offseason acquisitions like that who can all make an impact, really, in the in rotation uh, in right away in the 2018 season. So – Wanted to do a quick update as we transition a little bit to some of what we know now about some of the key battles in training camp. So I think one of the most interesting battles we've seen so far is the free safety battle. And that's because it's absolutely wide open right now. So we're talking about a position there where we think, and Nick actually made, you made a great point about this way early in our pod. I think it was on our first or second podcast ever. You said, you think it's going to be a rotation. And the more I watch, the more I think it's going to be a rotation at free safety because the Giants in their first practice, they played Darian Thompson for the entire practice as the first team free safety. Then in the very next practice, it was Curtis Riley as the first team free safety next to Landon Collins for the entirety of practice. The third practice came, it was Andrew Adams. The fourth practice, it was Michael Thomas. Four different guys, four different days. Then the fifth practice, they actually skipped over Thompson for Curtis Riley, who began the fifth practice as that first team free safety, which was interesting to me. It said, okay, maybe he's moving up the depth chart. Maybe they like what they saw from Curtis Riley the most of those four guys. But unfortunately, actually, Riley injured his hamstring during Monday's practice. Darren Thompson immediately came in for him and finished the practice out with the first team defense. Um, but I'm most intrigued right now about Curtis Riley on this defense. Here's a guy who converted from cornerback to safety last season with the Titans um, after playing there at cornerback his whole career with the Titans until last season. Also, which people don't know, he actually played safety in high school, so it's not brand new to him. During spring OTAs, he was the strong safety. He played a lot of first team strong safety because, remember, Landon Collins wasn't practicing. He was injured. Darian Thompson wasn't practicing. He was injured. So now he's actually making that transition to free safety. Betcher's talked about how much he likes his versatility, his ability to drop in deep coverage, his ability to make plays around the line of scrimmage in the box. So that's something interesting there. I don't know if you wanted to add anything on that, Nick, before we move to the next battle. You know, I think it's I think it's going to be rotation like you're saying. I think that um, I'm a little surprised to see Thomas – not taking reps there because I know he wants guys to play in that position, but I do think that Thomas is going to end up in the slot if he, as a slot backup kind of hybrid, if he ends up kind of being involved in this team. 
uh, just because he took so many snaps there, and he's a good tackler from that position. Uh, he flashed that in tape on uh, previous teams. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think it's tough. I think that, you know, you look at guys like Andrew Adams that played center field in high school, and you, you kind of think that he could pull it out at some point or at least be the be the definitive backup even in this group again. Um, and, and it's just – it's tough. I think, I think like we said, it's – Yeah, I mean, and let's let's make one thing clear here just because I don't know if I was clear enough with it when I broke it down. Thomas took some first-team reps in that fourth practice, but he wasn't exclusive like the other three were in those first three practices. And even after practice, you know, Lou at – Anarumo, who the the Giants uh, defensive backs coach, who he actually followed from Miami to New York, he said, you know, we won games in Miami with Mike starting at the nickel. And so one attribute he brings, he said he's a multiple position guy, but really, you know, he made it clear right there. They like him at the nickel. And that makes sense given his special teams prowess and his ability to, um, you know, to to make tackles and to be a hard hitter around the line of scrimmage, obviously in a sure tackler there, something this giant secondary needs. They need a sure tackler. That's my issue with Andrew Adams. Like, you know, he's great in coverage, deep coverage, but he had issues with tackling in 2017. He was not a good tackler in the open field. And that's something I think Michael Thomas brings to the secondary and Ry- and Curtis Riley to, to an extent as well. And that's something that I think is actually exciting for James Betcher because he doesn't want to deal with the, you know, we don't, he doesn't want to see the giants defensive backs leading the league or damn near close to it and miss tackles again, you know, for a second straight season. That's just not something any coach wants to see. And obviously, you know, Anna Rumor also made an interesting comment when he said, listen, with Mike, he makes big plays too. There was a game, you know, that in the last drive of the game against Tom Brady last season with the Patriots, out of the nickel position, he made that interception that sealed, you know, that that's helped them seal the win. So he believes that Michael Thomas can be a big part of the secondary. I think it's interesting. He might be bigger, a bigger part than we see. But again, look for him more towards in, in a nickel role, especially when, hey, the Giants use that big nickel package where they're going to use an extra defensive back, whether that be a cornerback or a safety. Um, yeah, go ahead, Nick. Yeah, just one thing too to mention too about the tackling, which is funny about grading. Um, you know, I wrote a, I, I saw a lot of Darian Thompson uh, snaps when I did a piece for Cover One uh, earlier uh, last month. But one thing that's kind of interesting from the scouting perspective, when you see the entire unit tackle poorly, and let's be honest, like you said, the entire unit did, it should impact how you grade the guy that the one specific guy that you're grading. What I'm saying here is, I don't think it was emphasized or whatever was being practiced was not flowing through in the game whatsoever so when 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 people see a totally new look giants team i don't think that that's that crazy because you have a new coaching staff emphasizing new things it doesn't mean that they're doing like it's it's a full 180 but it's amazing how the impact of that as well as the impact of a new season can all of a sudden getting these players that were basically not making uh were poor in both form and effort all of a sudden like like, you know much much better what they're doing um then we transition to another battle here one at the center position uh, where there's not much of a battle, really. John Jalapio is dominating the reps. This is a guy who closed out spring practices, taking a little bit more first-team reps than Brett Jones, and now in training camp for the first five practices, it's it's his job. I mean, he's not he's not he's not giving up any reps to Brett Jones. They're not mixing in Jones at all. And the thing that I found that's most interesting about this, just a little note, just a little tidbit from from these observations from practices, he hasn't had one bad snap yet. It's so odd for me. This is a guy who brand new to the center position. He's played guard his whole career. Every every snap of his life at, in football, he's played guard. Now he's made this transition to center, and he's not even screwing up the snaps with Eli Manning. So that's something interesting to me, and I think that's definitely you know something that seems like a small thing but could definitely help aid his, his, you know, his quest to win that job. Um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add there on Jalapio. I know we dove into him a little bit on one of the, the, the first few pods. 
I definitely I just knocked <laughs> on wood on my desk just because <laughs> you know what you don't want to a guy right at this at this stage. No, he uh no we we, we jumped into him before, but no, I, I like him a lot and I, I, he's not the other right. guy as McAdoo kind of referred to. You know, it's it's a little bit it's much more than that. And and I think it's cool that they're both friends battling for this position. And to be frank, I think both are gonna make yep. a team and I think you need both. Um not just as a backup, but as a swing player, because Jalapio yes. can play. So can Brett Jones. That's, Brett Jones' best huge. graded game from both football focus right. in his Giants career came at left guard. You know, this is a guy who can play the guard position as well. Then another interesting yeah, battle. Sure. This is not much of a camp battle, but I need to talk a little bit about this outside linebacker position, which to me has become such a strength of this Giants team in such a short period of time. I mean, we're talking about Okay, so you you got Kareem Martin working as the strong side left outside linebacker and Olivia Vernon as the right outside linebacker in practice. And, you know, we haven't heard too much from Martin just yet, and there hasn't been any change yet, but there might be one coming, okay? Because Connor Barwin on that second team, Giants defense, is absolutely manhandling Chad Wheeler at right tackle in every single practice. He is getting so much penetration in pa- in the passing game. He's setting the edge in the run game and making plays in the run game, stopping th- things before they get started there for that second team Giants offense with Davis Reb- Webb running the show. Barwin's been unreal so far. I'm really excited about what I've seen. This guy plays with so much energy in practice now. Of course, like here's a guy who's probably playing 100% every snap, practice their game, and some guys obviously elevate their games, uh, their level of play in games versus practices, so maybe it won't translate as well to the games. But you know, at some point, the Giants are going to have to consider moving him into that first-team defense over Kareem Martin. It just makes too much sense right now. And obviously they like Martin for a multitude of reasons. He's 280 pounds. He knows the system much better than Barwin does after having played in it with Betcher for the past three seasons. But it's something to keep an eye on. And then at that right outside linebacker position, Olivier Vernon has been the most dominant player on the field for the Giants on the defensive side of the ball. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. He's gotten the best of Nate Solder twice in the past three practices with two sacks. The Giants lined him up a little bit on the other side of the formation in a couple practices before that, and he absolutely dominated Eric Flowers. Two plays in a row, two sacks at one point. One that was, you know, Flowers got called for a hold on, and he still got there uh, and got the pressure and got the would-be sack. And obviously these are all would-be sacks because there's no sacks in practice. Nobody's hitting Eli Manning. Nobody's even touching Eli Manning. But, you know, he's looked so damn good so far in this scheme. And I'm really excited about Vernon. I said earlier uh, Ingram was my breakout pick, and you can all find this on 24-7 with a timestamp back in May. So don't worry, either May or early June. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not talking after the fact here. But he was my breakout guy on defense, Vernon, because I just think this scheme is so well, is so fit for him. And just for any guy who's the top pass rusher on a team, like, you know, you're blitzing so many guys, you're going to get so many more one-on-one matchups. And he's not going to have to play 95% of the snaps because – Behind him, also making noise in practice, Lorenzo Carter, who's actually made that transition mostly. I mean, he's seen almost every practice snap so far in camp at the right outside linebacker position, and he's also looked awesome. I mean, again, he's going against Nick Becton, the Giants' second-team left tackle, who's absolutely dominated. Uh, It's just – it's not fair, the matchup, but we're talking about, you know, a supreme talent in Carter, who's 6'5", 250, with incredible burst when he's rushing downhill, versus Nick Becton. I mean, Nick Becton, you don't know much about, I don't know much about. He's probably not going to make this Giants roster. <laughs> uh, hopefully, it, Chad Wheeler isn't that bad that he has to make it over Wheeler, uh, who's been a major disappointment in my mind so far in training camp, but we'll get to that at, at another point. But yeah, so this outside linebacker position, very interesting. No changes yet, but... I'm looking to see when Connor Barwin starts to work ahead of Martin because I think it's coming at some point soon. Um, and then finally, 
The final battle I want to touch on is the cornerback position where, you know, the Giants were dealt a tough blow at the beginning of training camp when Sam Beal got injured. His shoulder popped out on kind of a free play where he ran into his teammate. And then it was a, it was, you know, it was a bad shoulder that he was, they already had injured uh, prior to the draft and he was placed on injured reserve, you know, or not yet. He's going to have surgery and he will be placed on injured reserve. Or sorry, he was placed on injured reserve. They re-signed Kenneth, Kenneth Burden. I forgot about that uh, for a brief second, but yeah, so they're losing him, but two guys that have really stepped up and are making a little bit of noise right now are Dante Dion, the, obviously he's been with the team, the undrafted free agent out of Boise. who has been with the team for a couple seasons now, but was injured after a really, really, really strong preseason last season where he had two interceptions and a strong training camp, but the injuries derailed his 27th season. And Grant Haley, the undrafted free agent out of rookie free agent this season out of Penn State, who obviously made a lot of noise during spring OTAs. And both guys are, what's interesting to me is both guys five foot nine or under, and they're both working as outside corners in training camp so far. Not exclusively. They're obviously playing a lot of slot too, but they're playing a lot of snaps in the outside and they're doing really well. Dion had his best practice, I believe it was two days ago. It was Sunday's practice where where Dan, or it was either Sunday or Saturday's practice where Dan had an interception and followed it right up with a pass breakup. And then unfortunately he injured his hamstring too. So he like Riley is sidelined right now with a hamstring injury, but Grant Haley as well, making plays on the outside as cornerbacks. And when you really look at this depth chart behind Eli Apple, who's at a great camp and Janoris Jenkins, there really isn't that much guaranteed to that cornerback position. William Gay still running as the first team nickel slot corner, but you know, he's been exposed by Sterling Shepard in practice. Let's just put it that way. Sterling Shepard's beat him a lot of times so far in practice. So I'm interested to see what Dan and Ham and Haley can do moving forward. Um, and finally, I want to dive a little bit into this. Um, we want to talk a little bit about what we see in the coming days of camp, in the coming days of the preseason, because this is not it for the Giants. You know, this is they're installing probably 60, 70% of their offense, but they still have another five practices open to the public where they may, they, they may install another, you know, 25, 30% of their offensive playbook. So one thing I haven't seen too much of just yet, but I do expect to see it more of, and that's the run pass option. Obviously, you know, fans know it as the RPO, you know, something most fans who didn't find, some, some fans probably didn't find out about it until it was publicized through Nick, through, you know, the success of Nick Foles, Doug Peterson, and and the Eagles during that Super Bowl run. But as the Giants, you know, install more of that offensive scheme, and given offensive coordinator Mike Shula's addition and given his background running the RPO, running a lot of RPO concepts in Carolina with Cam Newton and that offensive scheme, do you think this is something the Giants will actually mix in in the coming days and use in the 2018 season? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think that that you're going to see the implementation of a few of these. There was, like we said, a little bit of noise made in OTAs on uh, as they were probably doing parts of the install then. And it's not something that I don't think will dominate will, uh, what Shermer wants to do. But kind of just to clear up a couple like myths almost about about the RPO, specifically too with what Shermer, with what Shula, I should say, ran in Carolina. Um, you know, RPOs are, are nothing more than a run call for at least a portion of the offensive line and the running back and a subsequent pass call for at least a portion of the offensive line in some cases and the receivers, at least some of the receivers, not all. It doesn't have to be all. And the quarterback makes a read after the snap, um, whether usually to a, a conflicted defender who has to, who has to be both uh, part of the run fit in the run game. So protecting one of those six gaps and has to be in, in pass coverage, whether it's zone or man. And that conflict it's hard enough for linebackers. Usually it's second tier linebackers. It can be first tier defensive linemen as well, uh, or third tier, um, third tier players, safeties and corners. And um, that conflict 
does many things and it's, it's very difficult to, to play and it makes it so that it's not that it's a perfect play called, but it's something where the, the defense is a little damned if they do and damned if they don't. And what good designers do is they put their offense in good positions, good numbers. If they choose, if the defense, if that defender hesitates or plays pass, which rarely happens, or if he plays run, the pass is very quick uh, usually and basically hits the, the the space where he was, the zone where he was most most successfully in the NFL at least is is against zone. It, it it's very good um, against where the defender came from that that occupying zone uh, throwing to that. Uh, so basically, what you see oftentimes the, the key thing with marrying these things is you have to be very aware of timing, um, and you don't want to get kind of too complex to the point where. Uh, you know, your quarterback has to make either too many reads or is stuck back in there because ultimately he'll take a pretty good shot probably since only half of the offensive line is doing one thing. So that's something to keep an eye on as we move forward. We think the Giants will definitely mix in some of that RPO, right? Is that right, Nick? Yeah, I definitely think so. One thing I would just kind of clarify too, um, you mentioned you bring up a good point. People think that you need a a mobile quarterback and it kind of dawned on me, I guess, that the the reason why people think that is because oftentimes the QB keeper options – are attached to the read, meaning after the quarterback makes his read, if he hands the ball off, he'll run outside. He'll bootleg, basically. And the reason why he does that is not necessarily because it was really an option where he would actually run the ball, but more to keep the backside defenders at bay as the, as the run, as the, as the, um, the running back goes to the other side of the uh, the formation. So if you if you think about a RPO real quick, like if you're dividing your line in half, not in half, but like at least up where part of your guys are pass blocking, the other part are run blocking, and not all the designs are like that, but most are, that you're going to want to hold the defenders in place because there's not as many guys to get downfield to make those blocks as there are otherwise. So that's why that QB keeper option is often displayed. And I think that's one of the part of the myth of why people right. think that you need a mobile quarterback. All types of quarterbacks run RPOs. Tom Brady runs RPOs. Exactly. And that's something that we want to see this season, because obviously last season we didn't see any of that um, in the Ben McAdoo offense. But just as we close out today's show, I want to drop a few more observations. The thing that really stood out to me from camp and, you know, Nick, feel free to jump in at any point with anything you wanted to add to any of these. But obviously we talked earlier about Evan, about Evan Ingram being used all over, but he's really been unguardable so far in training camp. Landon Collins having trouble with him every linebacker having trouble with him. And something just to keep an eye on as we go forward. Um, Nate Solder has actually been a little bit worrisome to me at the left tackle position. Now, it might just be, you know, as the Giants are adjusting to this defensive scheme that's really thrown a ton at them. Um, and, you know, Solder, but Solder, but Solder's had a little bit of trouble with Vernon on that edge. And obviously, as I talked about a little bit earlier, but this second team offensive line is really struggling so far in training camp, uh, dealing with James Betcher's defense. Um, this offensive tackle position is super worrisome to me in general. I haven't seen the improvement I want to see, even with the first team at right tackle from Eric Flowers. Uh, very worried about him. He still can't bend. He's still having a lot of trouble. And then behind him, Chad Wheeler has been equally as unimpressive to me as has Nick Becton. So, you know, there's some issues there. I would look for if the team's going to make one more move, I think it's going to be at that offensive tackle position on the free agency market. And then Will Will Hernandez, you know, he's been just as advertised. This is a guy who's just stonewalling bull rushers. There was a play uh, from in, when they went indoors on Saturday during practice. I believe it was either Friday or Saturday where Manning hit Beckham on a, on a deep route, on a go route, and Beckham made an incredible catch that was obviously highlighted throughout the day on Twitter and you know with Giants fans. But really, something nobody really pointed out or noticed, uh, some people noticed it, but didn't get enough credit, was Will Hernandez absolutely stonewalling the, the defensive end. I believe it was Dalvin Tomlinson in pass protection. So he's been great. He's really has been 
he's going to be a day one starter and no doubt about it. Um, Eli Apple, here's a guy who really has done the most with his situation. This is a guy who some people wanted out of town. Some people wanted him cut. Some people wanted him traded for anything they could get a seventh rounder. Well, it's a good thing they didn't listen to those people because Eli Apple has returned a brand. You know, he's still just 22 years old. He's a kid still. And he's he's either 22 or 23, I'm sorry. And he, you know, he everything about him has been great so far in training camp. Not only the fact that he's been really good in coverage, aside from one play uh, during Monday's practice yesterday where Odo Beckham torched him, just really – burnt him uh, for a long touchdown. But besides that, Eli Apple's been great in coverage. But most importantly, he's just been a different person and a player. He's he's really vocal right now in the secondary with his teammates and helping coach up some of the younger guys, Grant Haley, Dayon, those type of players. And he's just really committed right now to his craft. And that's something you needed to see given their lack of depth at the cornerback position. Janoris Jenkins, this dude's an absolute athletic freak. I know some people, you know, wanted to worry about him after the off-field troubles. Would he come back unmotivated, out of shape? That's not the case. You know, he's not letting any of that affect him at all. He's been awesome so far in practice. And then here's a guy you should definitely not sleep on, and that's Rhett Ellison. Giants are using him so much more right now than they ever had, than they ever did last preseason last training camp he's being used as a fullback like we talked about as an inline tight end detachment formation he's being targeted much more often in the passing games so that's something to keep an eye on and then last thing i wanted to touch on is just davis webb here's a guy who you know i'm not going to totally buy into him until i see it in live game action even the preseason it's going to give me a lot more you know what i want to you know a lot more of what i need to to make a judgment not call on him but again in the preseason defenses aren't really blitzing so Again, it's something that, that I still have to see how he does how it holds up under pressure. Um, but here's a guy who made a play during Sunday's practice that was really just unbelievable. He rolled out to the right after diagnosing before the snap that there was going to be pressure coming from the weak side, and there was because the Giants' second-team offensive line has been atrocious. They can't hold up at all. So there was immediate pressure. He rolled out to his right and then threw a freaking rope. This was ball. I watched this thing live from the end zone angle. This ball was a rope coming out of his coming coming out of his hand, forty yards down the field in stride to wide receiver Khalif Raymond, who caught it and then headed towards the sideline. Uh, Webb's arm talent is pretty undeniable, and he's definitely making some progress throwing less off his back foot. You still see that a little bit in practice. I've still seen a few plays where the pressure gets him, and he kind of just throws off his back foot over the middle, and it's it's very dangerous. But here's a guy who's definitely making some progress moving forward. Is there anything you wanted to add add to that, Nick? Yeah, I think um, I feel like I'm almost people have like maybe branded me a little bit as a Davis Webb bear <laughs> just because of how um, much I've done. I've oh, been a little. Too. I've been more bullish on Laletta, not for this season, but just for the system overall. Uh, but one of the things that I was kind of picking up on in terms of um, the practice side of things is maybe hit the placement of Webb's ball, maybe not being as consistent, not nearly as consistent as Eli Manning, and uh, that's something really to watch. You know, balls that get caught in practice are kind of great and everything, but a coach wants to see someone really sharp in terms of perfect placement because in the NFL, those windows are super, super tight. And I think, you know, Webb's made tremendous strides cleaning up his footwork, although, like you said, it, it's not – it's always a work in progress, basically, when guys are going through that. You know, you had the real lazy feet kind of issues in college that, you know, to be quite frank, a guy with a with a, with a cannon like that doesn't really have to worry about um, as right. much. And right. uh, so just for me, the placement of his balls as practice goes into the preseason – is, is, is going to be a good gauge for me where he is because that'll definitely be a big part in the in kind of the timing and rhythm uh, play calls that that, that Shermer's going to have. You know, a lot of people 
or if some people may be thinking that, hey, you know, um, with with Shula here, you know, he took a, he took an Air Coriel system in Carolina, which is a which is a terminology more than anything else, but it it means that uh, there was a lot more down the field routes that that you saw Cam Newton throw. And he married that with spread concepts, and that was basically Carolina's offense. So people are thinking, hey, maybe Shul will do that here. That that you know he'll be able to he'll, he'll throw more go routes, more nine routes down the field. Now that's definitely a possibility, and like the guy has a total cannon. But the bottom line is, it's still going to be a timing and rhythm offense. And so if he can't put the if he doesn't have good placement, that's that's going to be a that's that's a tough thing uh, to have as a backup quarterback, and especially what what we're fans are looking for going forward is is a, is a quarterback of the future. Right. And no doubt about it, Nick. I mean, it's not just you. Trust me, this is a little bit before our time before we, you know, got together to do this podcast. But I was all in on the on Josh Rosen as the QB one <laughs> of this draft class, without a doubt. Um, after, you know, my own evaluation of what I saw, you know, at least I saw double digit games of every single one of these top four quarterbacks. And I saw double digit games of Davis Webb at Cal. And I saw a major massive difference in a lot of areas so i'm also branded on twitter as a davis webb hater i still get tagged in posts when he makes good throws at training (laughs) camp but just so everybody knows who's listening in i'm rooting for webb just as hard as you are i want him to prove me wrong i want him to be the guy who you know translates you know who takes his game to such a different level at the nfl level than at the college level and it's certainly possible you know i talked with trent dilfer earlier this offseason i wrote about this and put it on twitter and dilfer definitely changed my mind a little bit on webb because Really, to him, it was a it was a matter of Webb wasn't asked to do anything at the college level, and you know by being in that you know that system, that air raid system, and he just believes Webb was so raw at that time because you know he worked with him in the elite eleven on eleven elite elite I think it's eleven camp uh, that Dilfer ran, and he worked with him individually. He said he stayed used to stay up a couple nights down in Texas and watch game tape with him and work with him on his game, and he just thinks that he's a perfect fit for for uh pat Shermer actually and webb has been pretty mobile so far in camp so if the giants are going to do a lot of the things we saw with case keenum he could be there but definitely at the intermediate level so far i think kyle Ouellette has been a little more accurate and obviously eli manning i mean the past two practices eli manning's on 13 of 14 on passes and obviously it's practice it's training camp that doesn't mean everything but everybody made such a big deal of andrew luck going 12 of 14 the other night or whatever it was 19 18 of 20 that i i figured i'd throw it out there and throw eli manning a bone if we're gonna if we're, if we're gonna give andrew luck all that credit but anyway guys that's all we have for on today's show. We tried to dive into everything we learned in five days. I know we got a lot out there, but there's been a lot going on. So there was a lot to talk about. Um, just to give you an idea of what's coming up going forward, we're going to try to run another one of these podcasts next week around this time, preferably Tuesday, uh, so we can preview the Browns game. The Giants have their first preseason game next Thursday night against the Cleveland Browns at home, MetLife Stadium. And we're going to hope to actually bring on my buddy and my colleague, Josh Edwards, who does Cleveland, who covers the Cleveland Browns for 24-7 sports, also does our NFL draft coverage. This is a guy who knows a lot about football. He would fit right in on this podcast. Trust me when I tell you that. So hopefully he's going to be a guest on next week's show. Um, but yeah, until then, I just want to say, you know, keep up with us. We're going to keep this rolling through the offseason, obviously into the regular season when we finally have some game tape to work with, some actual film to look at and to break down. And I'm going to hopefully get better at that. But, you know, I got one of the best teachers in the game right here, at least my, at least for my money and Nick. So I'm excited about what's to come. Nick, did you want to throw out any uh, any any last words? Uh, here? No, just ready to uh, ready to, uh, to to get it going, and uh, we'll be on the road next week for the pregame. But uh, we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely be getting involved on the podcast and psyched to uh, to get this going. 
No doubt. And, you know, I would be I have to at least one time drop on every single podcast. You know, you can follow us on Twitter. I got I got to drop it. I got I got to do the shameless plugs. They, they have to come um, just because we want to get this rolling. So, you know, you can follow us on Twitter. My, my handle is Dan Schneier NFL. As obviously anyone who follows me already knows, I'm pretty active in responding to anyone who tries to interact with me there. That's D-A-N-S-E-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL. Nick, want to throw your handle out there real quick? Yeah, sure. T-Manic21, T-M-A-N-I-C 21 for Twitter. And I write at cover1.net as well as inside the pylon. We're actually, uh, don't want to jump the shark, but I'll be writing mostly about the NFC East this year for that perfect so it'll be all, perfect. all the all the good scouting reports we'll have to i'll be diving in there so so psyched for that no doubt and if you did enjoy this podcast and if you have been enjoying all the podcasts please pass it on to your friends and most importantly do us a favor and just subscribe on itunes rate us on itunes give us any rating you want and write a little bit of a comment even one line will help us we're trying to move this podcast up the out nobody knows how itunes really runs that we're, we're still figuring that out as well but thanks again guys for tuning in And until then, go Giants.